Our scripture reading comes this morning from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone, sow, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, we have made it to chapter 13. If you remember from last week, Jesus was in a house full of people being challenged and going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and religious leaders of that day. Now in chapter 13, it's the same day, later that day, Jesus has gone down by the water, down by the sea, and I have to imagine he's very tired. And then this crowd of people shows up. Now, we don't know if it's a similar crowd or a different crowd. I imagine there's some overlap between the house and and this crowd. And Jesus, to be able to speak to everybody, he pulls off in a boat. So he's in the water sitting down, the crowd standing up. 
as was the culture of that time, which it's not lost on me, the, the fact that the speaker gets to sit and the audience has to stand. So today, to be more biblical, no, I wouldn't do that to you. I'll stand, I'll let you sit in your nice seats. But uh, he, so he begins to speak to the crowd and he does so in chapter 13 by telling them eight parables. And so a parable, most people confuse parables and allegories. A parable is different than an allegory. So an allegory is like the Chronicles of Narnia or Pilgrim's Promise, where you have a fictional story where every detail tells you something about a different reality. So in, in, in our context, in those two books and what we're talking, looking at here, the, it's telling us something about the kingdom of heaven. And so the difference, a parable isn't necessarily fictional, and a parable, while it has a main point that it, the parable's telling us about the kingdom of heaven, we're not supposed to look at every single detail in a parable the way we would an allegory and look for meaning in it. If we do, we can, we can lose the, the forest for the trees. So in this first parable, Jesus tells us the famous story about the sower. And before we dive in, there's something important that we really need to understand. To put ourselves accurately into that context, we have to appreciate how confusing everything is that Jesus is saying. Everybody was really confused. And so imagine Jesus, he's coming to Orlando Grace Church, glorified body and all. He decides he's going, to, he's going to give us a message. And so we're here and we're listening. And he says, Orlando Grace Church, hear this word. There was a sower who sowed seed and some seed fell on the cart path and it didn't take hold and it became bird seed. And, and there was another path that was uh, rocky and so it grew up a little bit and the sun scorched it out. And then there was a, a third seed that grew up but, but uh, thorns choked it out. And then there was a fourth seed and that soil was good and fruitful. The end. Like, that's confusing, that's confusing. I would imagine because it's Jesus, you know, there might be a slow, confusing clap that develops across the room, but that's confusing. And so the crowd has to be thinking things like, okay, what does that mean? How, how is this going to help Rome be ousted? How, is, how does this contribute to the nations coming to Jerusalem to worship the, the way that they did when David was here and King Solomon, only much more so? Where are we going, Jesus? And the disciples, I think, were a little bit confused too because after this, they went to Jesus and they said, what in the world are you saying? That's my paraphrase. That's not exa exactly how they said it. But they, they were, why are you speaking to them in parables? What are you doing? To, the, to, to which Jesus said, you are going to get to hear the secret of the kingdom, disciples. And he tells them that the seed is the word of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, and the soil are people's hearts. So when we read, we read this chapter, we can't, get, we can't lose fact that Matthew is taking things out of its natural chronological order. Jesus says these parables and doesn't explain it to the crowd. And then later, when the disciples come and say, what, what are you saying and why are you saying it this? Later, Jesus answers the question. So we're gonna look at the parable of the sower having full knowledge of what's going on because Jesus has explained it to his disciples. And we're gonna look at four hearts. The first three hearts are unbelieving hearts, and the last one is a believing heart. So heart number one, I'm calling the disbelieving heart. So they're all unbelieving, all the first three, but this, this one is just a little more staunch in its position, a little more adamant in its unbelief or disbelief. 
Verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So telling a disbelieving heart about the kingdom of God is like throwing these, these seeds on this path that's so hard and dry from being beat down by traffic of all kinds and you know nothing is going to happen to that seed. So that seed becomes bird food. And that message that was intended to heal their hearts becomes a message of condemnation to their soul. And so this heart denies the truths of the kingdom. This heart is cynical of the truths of the kingdom. This heart might even be hostile to the truths of the kingdom. And listen, there are plenty of things that are true that I wish weren't. They're true that I would love to deny the truth of those things because I don't like the reality of what that means for me. So in our neighborhood, we have these electronic uh, speeding signs so it, 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 these are these are new to me we did not have these in mississippi so florida's a lot more high tech so it says this it's like it, it says the speed limit and there's a black box and when you drive in front of it it shows you how fast you're going and a few months ago ivy very aptly said daddy why is it that when you drive by that sign it tells you your speed but when mama drives by that sign it says too fast slow down because like, mama's wanting to deny the reality that we have speed limits in our neighborhood. And mama's at another church this morning because we have a good friend who's giving his last sermon, which is why I'm so bold as to tell that story. But I do the same thing. You know, I would love to walk into a gym, into my gym, and deny the reality that my body can't do all the things that it used to be able to do. I can't go full bore the way that I used to. I can't max out the way that I used to. If I, didn't, if I denied that reality, it would be to my detriment. <laughs> I can't deny the reality that my, the truth, that my family is on a tight budget and we can't do whatever we want to do for spring break. If I didn't, if I denied that reality, that would work to our family's detriment. There are truths in this world as much as we may not want to believe them. If we choose to refuse to believe them, they will, that will work toward our detriment. So how much more when we're talking about the truths of God? So Jesus tells these crowds, you need to repent. You need to believe in me. I've come to save you from your sins. I am bringing a new kingdom and you can dwell in that kingdom if you give yourselves to me and to my teaching. And these hard hearts refuse to believe. And so when I think about this crowd, you know, the modern equivalent. I, I know a lot of people, friends even, who say this, have this one line that I hear over and over and over again. I refuse to worship a God who... I hear that all the time. I refuse to worship in a God who sends people to hell. I refuse to worship a God who has allowed this thing to happen to me. I refuse to worship a God who allows evil in the world. I refuse to worship a God who tells me who I can have sex with. I refuse to worship a God who, and fill in that blank, and filling that blank, we're basically saying, doesn't let me live the way I want to live. That's the modern equivalent. So if that's you here this morning, the task before you is impossible, humanly speaking, because what Jesus is saying is that you need to change your heart. Your heart is hard, it needs to be softened. But what Jesus also says is, I can do that. Jesus says, all you have to do is ask me, say, change my heart and mean it, and the Holy Spirit will actually do that. I mean, this was a lot of my story in college. I came to faith at Florida State, like so many others before me. And I remember, I mean, what I had set out to do 
at Florida State I had been very successful at. And I arrived at a point in my senior year, my first of two senior years, I had a, one of those victory laps. But in my first senior year, I, I looked at my resume, I had everything that I'd sought to do and more, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied inside. And so I began to pray, which was not common for me. And I prayed, God, all right, I'm not happy and I don't have faith and I'm open to those two things going together, but I don't want to believe something just to believe it, to tell myself something to make my, you know, I don't want to hide my head in the sand. So if you're real, you're really going to have to do this. And so coincidentally, somebody with Campus Crusade walked up to my fraternity house who'd never been there before and shared the gospel with me. And it made sense. Like it made sense. A lot of parts of it made sense. But when I was finally sold was after I had given my life to Jesus and I saw my heart change. I saw addictions that I'd struggled for years go away. I saw this, this ambition to be governor of the state of Florida. Now it looked like shallow and selfless and purposeless like these are deep down desires that I could not have changed on my own and I remember sitting by myself and saying Jesus is real because he had changed the desires of my hard heart so that's the first heart the disbelieving heart the second heart is what I call the impulsive heart verse 20 explains the seed thrown on rocky ground as for what was sown on rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is the heart that believes when it's easy, you know, believes when it's cool, believes when it's socially acceptable, believes when it's going to help your business and get you more votes or whatever it is. But when tribulation comes, when trials come, especially trials that want to push back on your faith and what you believe in the scriptures, this person their response to the gospel changes. When it's not easy to be a Christian, they no longer say they're a Christian. And you know, if I were in Asia or uh, parts of the Middle East, I, the, the way that I would apply this was how we stand firm in light of life-threatening persecution. But we live in Orlando, Florida. So I'm gonna go a little bit different direction. And I am curious, how many of you were in Orlando to, before 2008? Okay, a good number. I mean, in the first service, it was, it was more than half. I was shocked. So if you, were, if you were here in the 90s and early 2000s, this felt, spiritually speaking, like a very different city. I mean, you, you go back and you look at First Baptist was booming and Jim Henry was the pastor. He's president of the Southern Baptist Convention. First Presbyterian Church where I grew up was literally one of the largest mainline churches in the world. You have Northland, Joel Hunter, church goes from 150 to 20,000. You have his son, Isaac, who planted Summit in the heart of Orlando, and there's like 7,000 young, cool people there worshiping. And he becomes a celebrity in his own right as he's baptizing magic players. Then you had the largest parachurch organization in the world, Campus Crusade for Christ, decide we're going to make our headquarters here. Then Reformed Theological Seminary decides to plant their flagship campus here. And R.C. Sproul and Ligonier come down here, and they plant two pretty successful Presbyterian churches along the way. Then dozens of other ministries decide we want to relocate to Orlando and if you remember well right down the road Benny Hinn was down there slaying people in the spirit I mean it was crazy what was happening in Orlando it felt like Jerusalem at Pentecost the New York City of worship I mean it was everything was coming here and there was a lot of excitement about it now we are the sixth most de-churched city in the world we have more people that used to go to church and stopped than all but five other cities. So what has, what has happened? What has changed? And I think 
a large portion of those who do not attend church anymore, they're this kind of soil. Because the, yes, we, we're, we're all in when it's exciting and fun and socially, you know, people, it, it benefits me socially to be a Christian, but then it gets hard. Life kicks in and pastors make really bad decisions and, and distrust of Christianity grows and it's actually not that helpful because now in my business, if I'm Christian, I'm seen as a bigot. So I, now it's not as easy to be a Christian so people are no longer going to church. I think this is what we're looking at. But I look at Orlando and I'm actually not discouraged because this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. But I do think there's a warning to us in the way that we do ministry. We have to make sure that we are striving for deep roots. Roots that will go deep and plant us and our children and our friends. We are not here simply to entertain. We're here to disciple. And this process is, is going to be slow. I don't think it's any... any uh, it's not, not by chance that Jesus is using this imagery of growing. It is a slow process, but it will come and it will be powerful when it comes. We can't get, we can't be discouraged that what used to be like the parachurch Mecca is now the de-church desert because Jesus warns us that it will happen and he gives us the tools to be able to be a church that moves forward and is fruitful. And I totally lost where I was. I just got going. All right, so Jesus, we have to be, be clear to understand though what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that this heart went from an unbelieving state to a believing state. He's not saying that. He's saying the faith was too shallow to ever even really take hold. And eventually it's shown for what it is. That's the second heart. Then the third heart is the deceived heart. So this is the person who hears the message of the gospel, has an open posture to it, an open disposition to it, but then they are deceived by the empty promises of the world over the eternal promises of the word. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world, and I was thinking this week, who it is that Jesus is talking to. These are Israelites, ancient Israelites, and they don't have running water in their homes. They don't have electricity, and they're tempted to be deceived by the riches of the world. I mean, they didn't have internet. They didn't have TV. They don't have transatlantic vacations. How did they survive? They didn't have stock markets. I was going to make a Bitcoin comment, but I feel like the Bitcoin people are really feeling the deceitfulness of riches right now, so I'll leave you alone. <laughs> But if that's true of the ancient Israelites, if they can be swayed away by the empty promises of the riches of the world, how much more us who live in the 21st century and in the entertainment capital of the world? So this week, it's always so interesting to me providentially, like what God has happened in my life based on the text that I'm really thinking about that week to, to teach. So this week, I got to make a really quick trip to Atlanta. Uh, I flew up on Tuesday afternoon. I was home on Wednesday morning. Um, many of you know Mike Aitchison. Chick-fil-A paid to have us fly up and sit on a panel on Tuesday evening and flew me back. And it was really cool. I'm really thankful for the ministries that Chick-fil-A is doing. But because Chick-fil-A was paying, I didn't have to fly on Allegiant going from Sanford or whatever it is that I would pay for. I'm picking the flight that I want that gets me there when I want. And I got to fly Delta this week. And on Delta, you get to have free water and free snacks. 
It was really amazing. I'm very thankful. But what amazed me when I got on this plane, it was as large as anything that I had ever flown to Europe. I mean, because it makes sense. Delta Hub is Atlanta, so most of the people coming to Orlando have to go through Atlanta, and they just have lots of people to transport back and forth. It's like a 57-minute flight, massive plane. And Delta is a family-friendly organization, so they let all the, the parents with children on first to get situated, which when you're going to Orlando, though, it's everybody. <laughs> so, so they finished boarding the families. There were three of us left, and we got to board. And as I was walking onto this plane, you just, and it's what you would expect. You see Disney everywhere and Harry Potter robes and all that, which is great. I love Disney. I love Harry Potter and I love these things. But this thinking about this passage, I had this conflict come up in my soul. And I wonder, is, is this what their hope is in? Like their eternal hope. I mean, these people are on five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 more for this. Is this the thing that they think if they can do this, it's going to make their family healthy? If they do this, they're not going to be worried about these other things. Is this what's going on here? And I, I, I'm very thankful for all things Disney and Harry Potter. But when Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of riches, we have to be able to see that a trip to Orlando is a fleeting hope compared to the eternal promises in the word. When Jesus is talking about here the cares of the world, he's talking about the anxieties that the world brings. And there's no amount of money that gets rid of that. There just isn't. And there's no amount of magic at Disney. And there's no spell that Harry Potter has. And these theme parks, they're paradigmatic for what happens in our soul. We, we run to things to dull the anxieties of this world, but they will not give us what we ask of them. None of them, whether it's shopping or vacations or food or alcohol, they all cost money. We all run to them to drown out the anxieties of the world, but they won't give us what we're looking for. So I'm gonna give you a hypothetical situation that has for sure never happened in the Davis home. Imagine driving down the road and you hear a little voice from the back seat say, Daddy, can we go to McDonald's to get a Happy Meal? And the answer is, that's not real food. They squeeze it out of bottles. We're not eating McDonald's. But it tastes really good. Well, that's debatable. That's just a lot of salt and grease. But there's a toy in it. There's a toy. I was like, yes, and that toy is going to be broken by the time we get home. But it's called a Happy Meal, Daddy. I mean, why would they call it a Happy Meal if it's not going to make everyone who eats it happy? It's like, well, let me explain marketing to you. And then comes this phrase, this phrase that most every parent has heard. Daddy, if you will just get me a Happy Meal, I will never ask you for another thing as long as I live. You know what you're saying in that moment? That Happy Meal is going to so satisfy me, I will be so content that I will never have to ask you for another thing as long as I live. How immature is that? To think if we had one uh, it's one thing in our life, then we'd really be content. Aren't we glad we all matured past that? This is the seed. And, and maybe we've matured past thinking a happy meal is going to do that thing, but we still think a new car will do that thing. We still think a few more thousand dollars a month is going to do that thing. We, we, we think a family vacation is going to do that thing. These are, these, are, these are not bad things, but when we're looking to it to heal the anxieties in our soul. We're asking it to do something it can never do. It can't deal with our sin. It can't fulfill our hearts. Yet people still run to those things. That is the crux of this kind of soil. C.S. Lewis says that the, the problem with humanity isn't that we desire too much. We're not asking too much of the world. The problem is that we desire so little. This is how he says it. Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. 
We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. So this is really depressing so far. But fortunately, Jesus turns a corner here and he tells us about a final heart that does long for the holiday by the sea. Verse 23, the believing heart. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. So this is the heart that believes. And if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that I've gone to great lengths to, to define believing as loving God. Loving God so much that we, that we want to repent of our sins. We do repent of our sins and we run to Jesus. We want to be in his kingdom with him. We want to dwell with him for eternity. We see that Jesus is our only hope. Believing is that, that kind of love that changes everything about us. And Jesus isn't saying that there won't be thorns, there will. And he's not saying there won't be rocks in the soil, there will. What he's saying, this, this soil, this soil is going to bear fruit. So fruit is a product of the believing heart. It, it, it is a command and we're gonna look at it like that, but it's also just what we do. So if, if we are this fourth kind of heart, fruit will come from us. And so at this point, I think we have to ask the, ask the question, what is the difference between the first three hearts and the fourth? And to answer that question is in the center of this, of this passage, we have to understand why it is that Jesus is speaking in parables. Why is he being so cryptic to this, to this crowd? And in verse 10, the disciples ask this exact question. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. That can feel pretty uncomfortable. Like, they get it but not the others. The secret things, we get it. They, that just seems unfair. And then Jesus follows that with this proverb in verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what Jesus is saying, it isn't unfair because what's happening, he has been teaching in the clearest possible way and proving it with miracles all across this whole region, and they still don't believe. They're still asking for proof. They still want more questions answered. And so what Jesus is doing in speaking in, par in parables, it is a form of judgment on them. He's saying, all right, you, you can't believe, you won't believe, you refuse to believe what I have said clearly, now I'm gonna say it cryptically. And it's gonna be more frustrating and we're seeing a, a kind of a, a picture of hearts hardening. And there is this judgment that he's communicating to everyone who refuses to see Jesus Christ as God's ultimate display of love to this world. And that's the difference, this heart sees it. This heart sees Jesus as, as that, as God's great gift of love to this world, his great display of love to the world. And there's this misunderstanding when people look at Jesus, like he's, he's coming out and he's got a deck of cards and some are condemnation and some are judgment. And he's arbitrarily just throwing them out, condemnation, judgment, mercy, grace, like that, that's not what's going on. The truth is that all of humanity has brought on us condemnation. We've all brought it, we all deserve it. And here comes Jesus offering grace, that offering love, offering mercy. 
And there's one type of heart that says, yes, I see it and I get it and I want it. And that's this fourth type of heart. And this is, this is why Jesus says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And then he goes on to read that prophecy where Isaiah is prophesying that exactly this situation would happen when the Messiah comes. There will be those who see and do not see and hear, but do not hear. And so the very doubt of Jesus is actually an affirmation of his messianship, he's the Messiah. And if you are, by God's grace, this fourth kind of heart, there are two words. I'm I'm not talking to you. There are two words that if you're a part of the fourth group, there are two words that should always be deep within our heart and on the tips of our tongue at any moment. And those words are thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this blessing. And, and Jesus says just this in, to this group in verse 16, but blessed. He's talking about the people in this fourth category. He doesn't say, but smart, are you wise, are you moral, are you? He says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see right now and did not see it and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. And if that's true of the disciples, how much more true is it, is it of us who know about the resurrection? They don't even know about it yet, who have the full counsel of God in scripture. How much more, people longed for thousands of years, for millennia to see what's going on there and we get to see it even more fully than they did. And because we have this great blessing, if we are in this fourth category, we have a very particular responsibility. This is where we come back to bearing fruit. We are called, if we are this heart, to bear fruit. And this is what Jesus is saying in the last half of the last verse in our passage. Jesus says, he, that is he who loves Jesus, indeed bears fruit and yields it. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. So we yield fruit, that's what we do, that's who we are. There, the, he, he's not even really opening up the door for Christianity that is not fruitful. And we're gonna look different, he, he says this. So everybody's gonna yield different kinds of fruits in different way. You know, I, I don't need to feel ashamed if there's somebody who just yields a whole lot more fruit than I ever will, that's okay. And I don't need to feel prideful if by God's grace, I, I bear more fruit than somebody else. We're all going to bear different kinds of fruit and different volumes of fruit, but the call of every Christian is to bear fruit. And as I said, this takes time. And you, you see the patience of Jesus in this parable because he could have just brought the kingdom at that moment, fully, end of story, but he doesn't. He's, he's doing it in a way that's it's as slow as growing plants. I mean, that's slow but he does it because he is loving and patient and he knows that this is the way more people get into the kingdom. And even though it's slow, this kind of process of bringing the kingdom is powerful. And so again, yeah, I'm just, this week, this is the the text that I'm thinking about and praying through. And uh, since I told you about my flight, I'll tell you about the, the best kept secret of the Orlando International Airport. Tip top parking. Raise your hand if you know what tip top parking is. All right, yeah, so y'all are all about to get in on a great secret. So when you park at the Orlando International Airport, you can actually, if you keep going, park on top of the terminal, like 
10, 9, 10, 11 stories high. And I promise you, it doesn't matter what day of the week, what time, you always can park right next to the elevator. And that elevator goes right down to security. Like it's, it's amazing. I don't know how more people don't know about it. But to me, the best part of tip top, tip top parking is the view. So I like to be on floors 10 or 11. And when I got back Wednesday morning, I was up there and it's just, it was a beautiful morning and I'm sitting there just looking at the whole city. I mean, you can see downtown Orlando in front of me and then there's like Universal and iDrive and Disney's way back there. And if you go all the way to the right, you see those two smokestacks that look like the nuclear power plant from the Simpsons. And then in between all these buildings and steeples and I just hear Jesus' words, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus does not say, the laborers are plentiful, but the harvest is few. He's saying the harvest is there. The laborers are few, and the laborers are those who bear fruit. So this is a commission that Jesus gives his church, and one that as a church we want to, we want to embrace and embody. And there's a difference. You can embrace something that you don't actually live out, but we want to embody it. We want this to be true of us. And so because we want this to be true, I have some very specific challenges if you fall into this fourth group. First, and this is not trite, come to family night tonight because you're going to hear by God's grace, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to see where we're going this year, where we want to corporately bear fruit as a church. But then individually, we all play a part in it. And so individually, the challenge is to prayerfully consider what is that next step for you in bearing fruit. So for some of you, there is sin in your life holding you down and it's time to confess it and run to Jesus. That thing has to get out of your life if you are going to bear fruit. For others of you, it's time to reconnect or finally connect with a church body. There are no rogue agents in Christianity. God is building an army through his church. You must be connected, whether it's here or somewhere else. But that, that next step for you, if you're not connected, is to connect to a church. And if, if you want it to be this church, you can come to Discover uh, OGC in two weeks, but you need to be connected to a church. And then for others yet who are connected and doing well and repenting of the sin, there, there are people in your lives that God is putting on your heart that you need to talk to them about Jesus. And you need to talk to them about going back to church. You have a role to play in this. And, and maybe for some of you, you just know it right now. It's clear as day who that person is and what you need to do and you go do it. For others, it's not as clear and you may need to spend some time praying. God, what, what is my next step in being fruitful in your kingdom? But backing out to 30,000 feet here, we have four hearts. And I think the main call of the passage is to know what, what category you fall in. I mean, just be honest. In the beat, what category do we fall in? I'm not gonna ask you to say it out loud, but you need to be honest with yourself. You don't wanna be this person just refusing to look at reality. What category do you fall in? And whatever category you fall in, what is the next step for you in your walk with Jesus? So clearly the first three categories, the call is to believe. The fourth category is to be fruitful. So my prayer for me and everybody else is that that would happen, that we would know our category, that we would know where we go from here because that is what Jesus is intending to do by giving the parable both to the crowd and then explaining it to the disciples and having Matthew write it down. Let's pray. God, we, 
we come to you this morning just thankful. I, I feel thankful by no merit of my own. I do see that I'm in the fourth category, but I see ways that I can be more fruitful. And I pray for anybody here today in the first three categories that they would, that those hearts, that they would want you, that they want to love you and you would show them all the blessings that you have in your kingdom for them. And I pray for all of us in the fourth category, since we're a church on Sunday morning, there are a fair number of us here. And I pray that you would just speak very clearly to us about our fruitfulness. What is it, what is our next step? What does it look like for us to be more fruitful? And in that fruitfulness to be more satisfied and joyful in this world and in our relationship with you. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.